The following is a presentation of Remnant. Hi, this is Jerry from Remnant. Let's be honest, this life can be hectic, draining, and downright confusing. My hope is that by listening to this message, your life can be impacted by God's great love for you. And His love will give you wisdom, courage, and strength. Thanks for listening. You're listening to a message from Pastor Jerry Godsey. Matthew chapter 7, starting verse 24. All right, Joe, get better, buddy. Love you, man. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand, when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Father, take us now in your word, God. I pray that you'll speak to each home that's here today. Father, we pray for for Joe and his family. Thank you for what appears to be a good report, God. Thank you. Give us a great day now, God. We ask it in your name. Amen. I told Joe's wife, I said, some people do anything to get out of church. And I, 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 I told her, I told her, I said, you know I'm going to tell him that. when he, he, She said, well, it's, it's, I told her, I said, I don't see him tell him that that's what's going on. Woman's at home doing some cleaning and the telephone rings. And going to answer, she tripped on a scatter rug and grabbing for something to hold on to, she seized the telephone table. It fell over with a crash Jarring the receiver off the hook, as it fell, the family dog, it hit the family dog, who leaped and started howling and barking. The woman's three-year-old son, startled by all of this, starts screaming very loudly. The woman mumbled some non-Sunday school colorful words. She finally managed to pick up the receiver and lifted her ear just in time to hear her husband say, Nobody said hello yet, but I'm pretty sure this is the right house. You ever watch a family collapse? You know, we joke about this kind of thing because that's, that's, I mean, we can all relate to that. But it's something when you watch a family just begin to tear itself apart. It's sad. And it's almost like falling in slow motion. You know, you watch it and there's really not, sometimes it feels like there's nothing you can do. When we were still doing Remnant in the Pines, I tripped over the, one of those little parking barriers, little ones. I tripped over one carrying stuff, and I, I realized on the way to the ground, and everything slowed down. And I realized on the way to the ground, this is really going to hurt. And I was right. I hate it when I'm right. I, I was right. So I, I go into the, I go into the, and I'm all scat, my knee's all cut up. I got a, I got a scar. I was serving Jesus, and yes, I suffered. Hallelujah. Isn't it amazing that a couple who stood in front of all their friends and family and said, I do, I promise to love you and be with you forever, that they, months or years later, can't stand to be in the same room with each other? Children who were born into a family who are loved and and cared for, somehow become absolute enemies with their parents. It's sad. And there are ways for us to keep it from happening. So whether you're beginning a family or part of a family, I want to talk to you today about building the family on a good foundation. You can't build a house without setting the foundation. That first cement slab that you pour has to be perfect. It has to be level Everything has to, about it has to be right because everything that builds on that afterward is going to be off or on depending on how well that, that slab is built. We have some cabins up at, the, up at the ranch 
that are less than perfect? A nice way to say it. I've worked for churches where it, you could tell it was a church building project and not put on, not, you know, not done by professional contractors because the walls aren't exactly 90 degrees. They're 90-ish. The floor isn't flat. It's flat-ish. Well, let me tell you something. You're building a home. There's no ish. Your home is built on the right foundation or it's not. So I want to give you some things today they're a good foundation for our homes to be built on. And here's the great thing about this. It's never too late to start. It's never too late to build a good foundation. You can start again. So the first thing you need, a family that will last, the first thing it needs is a strong commitment. Strong commitment. These are the days of disposable marriage. Well, I'll get married... If it works, fine. If it doesn't, well, oh well. But I'm sure it'll work out because I really like them. I I told you, my wife and I have been married 36 years. And through that 36 years, there have been a bunch of times where she would have left or I would have left. But we both fought. And And I mean sometimes fought to keep our home together. There are times when it was only our commitment to Christ that kept us from uh, breaking up or, or killing the other person, really. I mean, that happens too. The joke is that we've, you know, we've been married all those years. We've never thought about divorce, but we've thought about murder a bunch of times. Probably her murdering me more than anything else because I'm easy, you know, she's easy to live with. I'm not. Commitment is the assurance that this family will stay together no matter what problems we face we face them together. If you've got a problem in your home, you, you don't have a problem. Your family has a problem. You're not the Lone Ranger in your house. You're just not. And if you're trying to be the Lone Ranger, you're messing up. Look at Mark chapter 10, verse 5 and 9. But Jesus responded, he wrote this commandment only as a concession to your hard hearts. He's talking about divorce. But God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. This explains why man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what, is God is, what God has joined together. Is there any ambiguity in this verse that I'm missing? If God puts you together, stay together. If God puts you together, No man should tear that apart. And then includes one of the people that's in the middle of it. Now, and again, we always have to have a voice of compassion through this. If you're in a situation where your home is broken up, trust me, I feel for you. I grew up in a single-parent home. My dad left when I was eight. I get it. It's harmful. It hurts. So we're not casting off on you. But here's what I'm telling you. If you're in a marriage relationship, you must do everything you can to make that relationship work. And yes, that means sometimes swallowing your pride and being the bigger person in the relationship. Not a single amen on that point. I thought that was interesting. Not a single one of you said, oh, hallelujah, pastor, preach it. (laughs) Not a one of you. Chickens. I wrote this this week. Strong families take the falling words and carve them in granite in their homes. I'm committed to you no matter what. No matter what. And those people take the word divorce out of their vocabulary. If you're in a marriage relationship and you start talking about, well, if you don't do this, then I will leave, you're wrong. Can I just tell you that? You're wrong. That is not the way God wants us to handle it. The way God wants us to handle it is to look at them and say, what you're doing hurts me, but I love you, and I'm in this for the long haul. And that goes for kids, too, teenagers. Well, I'm going to move out of the house. All right, you go ahead and do that, Sparky. You're going to find out the world isn't waiting for you. I love all these graduates this week. We graduate. Oh, we graduated. The world is our oyster. 
yeah, they don't care if you show up or not. The world's not like, oh, I just really need, you know, Bobby and Susie. They don't know you exist. Oh, thank you, Jerry, for crushing our dreams. Life is hard, then you die. If you're a parent, there are two ways you can convey the sense of commitment to a child and to your spouse. Number one, let them know they're a blessing, not a burden. My life would be perfect if I didn't have you. Really? Wow. I've heard them. I've heard, I've heard people say that. Psalm 127 verse 3 says, Children are a gift from the Lord. They're a reward from Him. And all the parents laugh right then because... Sometimes it's a gift, but it's a gag gift. I will tell you right now that I raised two boys, and I know that some of that was payback for the way my mom raising me. I know that. You ever pick last for a team? Yeah. Anybody that's watched me play basketball knows I don't get picked first. I'm not the guy that gets picked. I'm the guy you get stuck with. And then nobody passes me the ball, not if they're smart, because I can't dribble, I can't shoot. Really, the only thing I do well in basketball is foul. And if you know basketball, I set a mean pick. I will rock your eye teeth with a pick, but that's about all I can do. And it was so sad. I was youth pastor at the church in Imperial, and and we're choosing up teams on Tuesday nights to play basketball. And I'm the youth pastor. I'm, I'm deserve, I deserve some respect. All right. We'll take the guy in the wheelchair. You guys get Godsey. Oh! That's not... The kid in the wheelchair was good, though. Your kid should never feel like you got stuck with him. Your kid should never feel, your spouse should never feel like you settled for them. My wife gets tired of hearing it, but I tell her all the time. You know, I got steak at home. I don't go looking for hamburger. She's, she's, uh, her, her, she's up in the, the ranch today. She and her sister are, are having a little thing with their grandkids this weekend. So I stay far, far away from it. But I, I told Lynette yesterday, I whispered to her, I got the better of the two sisters. <laughs> right? And I did. I really hope they're not watching this. <laughs> Sorry, Irene. I read a suicide note from a teenage girl. She wrote, Dear Mom, I'm sorry I was ever born. It seems to me that I've ruined your happiness. I've chosen this way out so you can be happy again. Now, I will tell you the chances are that girl really was loved. But the fact that she didn't feel loved, the fact that she felt that way, maybe the mom wasn't good at showing her love. Don't take it for granted that the people you, know, that the people you love know that. We, see, we live in an achievement-oriented society, and there are some people who only feel good if they're you know, they're, they're high achievers. And let's be honest, not every one of our kids are going to be high achievers. Not every one of our kids are going to get straight A's. And if you shame them because they don't, now I'm not saying accept mediocrity. I had two sons, they're both really smart. And, and I didn't like B's coming into the house, let alone C's. One of my kids, I don't remember which one now, got a C in high school, and he came home, and I told him, you're either going to pick that up or your room's going to empty out. Because he wasn't a C student. But when I was teaching school, I had kids who a C was a, was, was a win. And you know what? You've got to celebrate that. Because to him, that's not average. That's not mediocre. That's an achievement. You've got to know who your kids are. Love them. Get them to strive, absolutely. Dude, a C, that's great. Now let's push for a B, because I'll bet you can do it. 
little bit of praise, a little bit of a challenge. Watch them flourish. We need to communicate and model that. Do your kids, does your family know that there's nothing they can do to be more loved? Because they're already loved with an unconditional, measureless love. They need to know that. We need to express that to our families, to our kids, to our, to our spouses. Do they, need to, do they know that there is nothing they can do to be more accepted because they're already totally accepted? That's our job as parents. That's our job as spouses. Nothing will alienate your child more than making them work for something that should be given freely. Your kids shouldn't have to work for your love and your acceptance and their self-worth. You raise a kid on conditional love, one of two things is going to happen. You're going to raise a workaholic who never feels adequate, but is always self-conscious. Or you're going to raise a quitter who just gives up altogether. Let them know that they're loved, they're cherished, they're accepted. And I know, but aren't I supposed to motivate my child? Absolutely. Aren't I supposed to encourage them to do their best? Absolutely. Do you want them to reach their full potential? Yes. But what are you using to motivate them? Are you withholding your love and your praise because they're not perfect? Because I got news for you, you're not perfect either. Wait, some of you are acting like you were under the impression you were. I got news for you. None of y'all perfect. None of y'all. None of you. None of you ain't perfect. And every English teacher I ever had just shuddered, shittered, shuddered right then. Yeah, there we go. That may have been close to the truth anyway. Let me give you some things I've learned both as an as a elementary and junior high school teacher and as a parent and as a coach. Never motivate on the basis of love and acceptance. They've got to be given freely. Never, no, never motivate on how they compare to others. Your brother can do it. Why can't you? Because I'm not my brother. Your cousins are smart. Why aren't you? Maybe they have an easier school. I don't know. Maybe their teacher likes them. I don't know. Maybe they had better parents. I don't know. (laughs) If you're a kid, you do not use that on your parents. And then say, well, Jerry said it in church because that won't get you anywhere and it'll just get both of us in trouble. I want you to ask yourself some questions. Does my family know they're a blessing, not a burden? Do they, do they know they're loved unconditionally and there's nothing they can do to make me love them more? You know who loves us like that? God. God loves you warts and all. God loves you whether you're perfect or imperfect. God loves you when you're doing great things, and he loves you when you're doing wrong things. God loves you unconditionally. Here's the question for the board. Does your family know there's nothing they can do to be more valued because they're already infinitely valued? Your kid does something great. That's great. That's awesome. It doesn't make me love you anymore. It just reveals to me that I was right all along in putting that hope in you. I've coached kids in the Little League who couldn't, I mean, they barely knew which end of the bat to use. And they struck out bunches of times. And there are some kids, and I, after a while, after I kind of mellowed out and quit, worry, quit thinking that I was going to, like, coach for the Dodgers eventually, I just started having fun. And, and there are kids on my team that they struck out. Dude, come on, you're better than that. There were kids on my team that they got a foul tip. It was like, dude, you almost did it. That's amazing. 
Let's try it again. You've got you to coach them where they are. But every kid that comes into contact with you, everybody in your family should know that you have put a 10 on their forehead. As far as you're concerned, they're all stars. And you've got to communicate that over and over and over and over. Second thing that strong families at last have, they have strong time together. They surveyed 1,500 children and they asked them, what makes families happy? You ready for this? 90% of them gave the same answer. It wasn't a big house. It wasn't lots of money. It was doing things together. Somehow we got this idea that more is better. And you know what I found out? More is just more. I have to work all this overtime so I can afford that boat and make good memories with my kids. You're missing your kids. Your kids would rather have you playing catch in the backyard, which, by the way, doesn't cost anything. You have to spend time with your kids. And people always ask, are we talking about quality or quantity? Yes. We're talking about both. Taking the time you have and making it work. One of the biggest lies we've been told is it doesn't matter how much time you spend with each other as long as it's quality time. You know what? You need time. And I'm sorry, five minutes of quality time isn't the same thing as a couple hours of just goofing around in the backyard. It's just not the same. We need quality and quantity. If you're a parent, I want to ask you if you know the ask ask yourself these questions. Do you know the answers to these questions? Is your child shy or confident? Are they a leader or a follower? What are their interests? What do they want to be someday? Who is their best friend? And why are they their best friend? You need to know the answers to this for your kids. Why? Because this is who your kids are. If they're a leader, then you need to talk to them about leading people the right way. And if they're a follower, you need to make sure they're following good people. Right? Are you aware of what's going on? Do you know your kids' best friends? I've told you before, when I was growing up, all of my friends wanted to come to my house. I did not want to come to my house. I wanted to go other people's houses because my mom was in my house. She made cookies. My friends all called her mom. I hated it. I can remember thinking, my mom is so stupid. She's letting all these teenagers just use her for cookies and stuff. And I can't tell you how many times after everybody left, my mom would say, you know, that, that one kid's got kind of a foul mouth. I don't know, if you, is that kind of person you want to be? And you know what? I found myself less hanging out with this kid less and less. Because, you know, my, he's right. My mom's right, which I hated saying. My mom's right. That kid's got a foul mouth. My mom wasn't stupid. She was really, really smart. She knew all my friends. She also, by the way, knew all of my teachers. She knew my daily schedule better than I did. I ditched high school once and went to Noggles and got a free soda because my friend said, if you drive, I'll buy and so I ditched school. And my mom had never been to Noggles in her life, but she went that day. And I, I still think that she's like got you know, people tailing me or something. I wasn't sure how that worked out. But she walked in, and I, as soon as she walked in, I knew I was in trouble because if I ever ditched school in my car, I was going to lose my car. That, that, uh, that free Dr. Pepper at Noggles got really expensive. So she walked in, you know. Hi, Jerry. You ever see, you know, you know those horror movies where the music starts playing? Da, da, da. She comes in the room and I, oh, I'm going to die. She says, uh, what are you doing here? Um, well, 
Uh, it's a short day, so we're on a compacted schedule. And so I got, because I'm just stupid enough to believe I can still get out of this, you know. She said, no, it's not a short day today. Um, the teacher was sick, so we got to sleep. No. And I expected her, like, to smack me or something right then, but it was even worse. She said, I'll see you when you get home. I knew what that meant. This is a woman I grew up with where in the middle of church, she would start chewing on the inside of her lip. And when that happened, I knew that the beatings would commence as soon as we got inside the front door. So when she said, she said, I'll see you when you get home, I knew what that meant. The car is gone. Honest to goodness, I used a tank of gas that afternoon because I knew it was going to be like two weeks till I got my car back. Do you know your kids that well? And if you don't, why not? Well, I don't want them to think I'm meddling in their lives. You know what? You're a parent. That's your job. I, I, I used the same system with my kids that Reagan used with the Russians. Trust but verify. I trust you implicitly, but I am going to find out if you're telling me the truth. Children spell love, T-I-M-E. Marriage counselor in Minnesota encouraged people to spend time together. The findings are that spending at least five and a half hours a week interacting with your spouse can strengthen your marriage. Five and a half hours a week interacting with your spouse. That is not the same as sitting on the couch together watching Survivor. Now, I like Survivor. I'm not, you know, I'm not casting off on Survivor. But that's a quality time. Unless on the commercial, you mute the commercial and you turn and say, well, Lynette, what do you think of that, that, that idol? He just, I mean, this is just, no, it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. You've got to spend quality time with your spouse. Spending time together strengthens the relationship. That can almost be on a fortune cookie. Confucius say, but that doesn't mean it's not profound. Spending time together strengthens it. But there's more than just mere time. The counselor wrote this. He says, I mean talking to each other, really paying attention to each other, the way you did when you were dating. <sighs> when you were dating, that other person was the most interesting person in the world. Right? Come on, you know, step in the Wayback Machine and remember with me. Some of you that have been married a while. They were the coolest person in the world. That's why you didn't dump them. And they must have thought something good about you because they didn't dump you. You've got to continue to date your spouse. Ephesians 5.25 says, For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. Time with your family means you're a priority. I love you. We've got to do this, guys. And I know we're working. We're, we're busy. But you know what? You don't want to save the world and lose your, lose your kids, lose your spouse. And I tell you that as a man who has done that at times. Early in my ministry, everything was more important to me than my kids and my wife. I spent more time at church because I thought that I, if I was going to be a good youth pastor and a good, youth, a good pastor, I had to bust my hump, and I had to make sure that everybody knew I loved them. But I had two or three people at home that needed to know that I loved them too. And it is with embarrassment that I look back at those early days of my ministry and realize how much my family sacrificed so that I could serve God. And they never should have had to do it. Look, some of that's unavoidable. Some of that suffering's unavoidable. But you can't win the world and lose your family. See, there's no substitute for time spent together. We need to slow down and experience life together. My kids are now 35 and 31. And I will tell you that I'm probably a much better grandparent than I was a parent. Because I've learned some of these lessons the hard way.
Third thing that families need is strong communication. This definitely applies to marriage relationship as well as it does to kids and parents. Husband and wife were at a party chatting with some friends when the subject of marriage counseling came up. Husband said, well, we never knew that. My wife and I have a great relationship. They said, really? How's that? He said, well, my wife was a communications major in college and I married in theater arts. She communicates well and I act like I'm listening. Strong families are held together by good communication. Communication is discussing the burdens of your heart, opening the windows of your soul, and sharing your feelings. And I will tell you, guys, we're not good at this. Women, women are great at it. Women love to tell you everything that's going on in their lives. And, and guys, we're like, that's great, honey. Meanwhile, we're trying to think of the repairs we need to do to our Jeep or, or we're listening to the air conditioner saying, that doesn't sound right. That's not communicating. I love the story Zig Ziglar tells of a lady who went through her pastor because she wanted a divorce from her husband. He said, do you have any grounds? She said, we live on three acres outside of town. You've been there. No, no, I mean, do you have a grudge? She said, no, we have a carport. No, no, but like, does your husband beat you up? No, I get up at six. I'm way, I'm, I'm up way before him. Okay, what I'm saying is, do you have a case? She said, no, we have a John Deere. <laughs> Ma'am, I'm trying to ask you, are you and your husband having any trouble? She said, yes, a lot of trouble. He said, okay, what is that? She said, he just can't communicate. And at that point, if you're that pastor, you just shake your head and think, you know, I could have been a plumber. <laughs> have to do this. Marriage counselors say that over half of all divorces are the result of poor communication and that if they could just have learned to talk, they would have saved their marriage. We're really good at not listening, but plotting what we're going to say next while the other person's talking. That's not listening. And that is a recipe for disaster. So let me give you the seven B's, because everything has to be in an ordered list for us. Seven B's of good listening. Number one, be observant. You listen with your eyes as much as you listen with your ears. Look at them. Show them that they're interesting. Um, show them that you're listening. That's why you can't, you know, like, look over the paper and talk to people. Put the paper down. Don't mute the television. Turn it off. See, guys, the ladies are quick to say, to say amen and stuff, and you guys are like, but you're, you're scaredy cats. <laughs> Albert Moravin of UCLA is, a, is a, a researcher in communication. He said that only 7% of our true feelings are conveyed by the actual words we speak. 38% by the way we say those words, and 55% is communicated through body language. If you've ever studied communication in school, you know this is really, really on point. Not only that, every time you talk, there's actually four things that happen. There's what you mean to say, what actually comes out of your mouth, what their ears hear, and what they think that meant. And trust me, it's not a smooth transition among all four of those things. Guys, you tell your wife, you look pretty today. And what you mean to tell her is, ooh, baby. You look good. What she hears is you saying, you look good today. And what she takes that to mean is, wait, don't I look good every day? What do you want? <laughs> communication didn't go quite like we had hoped. I learned a long time ago that muting ESPN is not the same thing as turning it off. In fact, if you re guys, if you really, really, really want to communicate well with your wife and you just can't bring yourself to turn off, turn it to like the Hallmark Channel or something. 
Because trust me, that is not going to give your attention. Oh, it's a rerun of Touched by an Angel. All right, I'm, I'm done. What? Much easier to talk then. Be available. Man, if you've got teenagers in your house, this is, this is vital. Because there's usually about a 10-minute period a month where a teenager really wants to talk. And if you miss that 10-minute period, it could be another month. So you need to, you know, you need to shoot ducks when they fly. I don't care if it's midnight, because you, you may say, okay, honey, I'll talk to you in the morning. I'm really tired. In the morning, they go back to their regular monosyllabic self. How you doing? Fine. How was school? It's okay. Are you dying? No. <laughs> Got to be available. Be considerate. It's amazing how considerate we can be to everybody else in the world, but not to our family. We say things to our family we would never say to other people. That shouldn't be that way. You should either be rude all the time. No, no, that's not good. If you interrupted people at work like you do at home, you'd get sent home. Treat the people around you with consideration. Don't take it for granted when they talk to you. Because let me tell you something, when they quit talking, then you got trouble. Be demonstrative. I'm talking about physical demonstrations, hugs, kisses. Use them often. Now, gentlemen, I always have to throw this out there. Gary Smalley says that women need non-sexual touch. Did you, did you hear that whole sentence? Non-sexual touch. Little things, not groping them like a piece of meat. That's what he said. He says that women need eight of these kind of touches every day. That doesn't mean you get to walk up to her tomorrow and say, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Love you, honey. You need to be wise. Learn to attack the problem, not the person. Ladies, nagging is not communicating. If you ask your husband to take out the trash, there's no reason to tell him 40 times. He's going to do it eventually. Maybe. Bringing up past offenses when you're arguing, stop it. If you're arguing about burned toast, argue about burned toast. Do not let it become a referendum on everything you hate about that person. Well, you burned the toast. Yeah, well, your nose is crooked, you know, and, and I hate your mother, and, and blah, 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 blah. Before you know it, you're fighting, you're fighting over the, the, the War of 1812, and you don't even know what it's about, but you're fighting about everything else, so you throw that in. Well, I think Vietnam was a mistake. Well, wait a second, we're fighting about toast. Stay on toast. And by the way, when you're fighting, don't use the words always and never. Because when you use those words, you're always lying and you never tell the truth. You never take me anywhere. Took you to the hardware store last week. You always, you always forget to take out the trash. Uh-uh. Two months ago, I took out the trash. And you didn't have to remind me. I took it out because it stink, but, and it made me gag when I went past, but that's why, but I don't care, I took it out. Be an example. Parents, it's a cold, hard fact. We don't get what we want, we get what we are. I found a study this week that said the percentage of American teenagers who say they want to be like their parents, 39%. We didn't even make it halfway.
Children who see physical violence between their parents are six times more likely to abuse their own spouses after they marry. If those same kids were hit by their parents in anger as teenagers, they are 12 times more likely to abuse their spouses. You want to raise a good, a good person? You need to be a good person. Be courageous. I think sometimes the main reason we don't communicate is we're afraid. We're afraid of what we might hear. We're afraid to tell our deepest, darkest secrets because we're afraid that's going to come back to bite us. Overcome your fear. Share your heart with the people that you love. Communicate with them because that shows them that you are making yourself vulnerable and you only make yourself vulnerable to people you love. I write a newspaper column. And my wife asked me one time, because I always call her where I'm work or wherever I am, where I am when I finish writing the column, I always call her and read it to her. I don't even think she even likes my columns, but she has to listen to them anyway. She asked me, why do you, why do you read your columns to me? I said, because I know you'll tell me the truth, and yours is the opinion that I value over everybody else's. She's told me a couple times, no, that one sentence, that's kind of mean. And I, then I fight for it, and then I say, yeah, right, I'll take it out. As long as she's happy with me, I'm happy. See, I care about what she says. And over the years, I have learned to be more open, more honest. I did not grow up that way. I did not, I was not a good husband for a long time. And I've learned. And it ain't easy. And I've got scars to show it. But I will tell you that if, you, if I can become a good spouse, so can you. Because <laughs> I had everything against me. The only good thing I had was God. And a good wife. The fourth thing you need is strong coping skills. Good families have the rare ability to be able to solve problems together, and they always see the big picture. When you see a family that looks successful, don't think that they've got it all together. Or don't think that they haven't gone through problems. And when you see a couple that's divorced, don't think that they had everything going against them. Look at, go back to Matthew chapter 7. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey, it's foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. What do you notice here? It doesn't matter what your foundation is, the storms are going to come. And I got news for you. If you're married, there are storms coming. The question isn't whether or not you're going to go through storms. The question is whether or not you've got a good enough foundation to weather the storms. And if your Christianity is a mile wide and an inch thick, you're in trouble. If you think you're really doing God a favor by showing up here on Sunday mornings and that's all you have for God, you're in trouble. Divorces of dysfunctional families, I really believe, had little to do with problems. Everybody's got problems. Breakups have to do with coping skills. There are people in this room who've had more trouble in their marriages and are still together than a lot of the people you know that are divorced. They're still together. Why? Because they've learned how to cope with it. If divorces were caused by problems, we'd all be divorced. Like the, med- like the comedian that said, if murder was legal, everybody would murder. There wouldn't be anybody who would not murder. We would all just like, because there's at least one person on our list. 
And trust me, you're, you may be on somebody's. I know I'm on a bunch of people's lists. Christian families have problems. The difference is the coping skills. How we respond to problems will make or break us. We've got to learn to attack our problems together instead of attacking each other. When we go through rough times, it's easy for us to turn our anger toward the people that are closest to us. Why would we do that? Why would I attack my wife who promised to love me in sickness and in death? For richer, for poorer. And boy, she, and trust me, she had no idea how much poorer it could be. Better or worse? God often allows pressure to drive us to greater trust in Him. I talked a couple of weeks ago about how when we go through problems... Sometimes it's God's way of refining us. Sometimes it's God's way of making us stronger. You understand the process of bodybuilding? Obviously, I don't, but I mean, I've heard. Weightlifters will, 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 will build these huge muscles, and the way they do it is by lifting heavy weights. And what they're actually doing is ripping their muscle fibers in half, they're tearing their muscle fibers. And then they'll rest, and the muscle fibers will heal, and then they'll do it again. And every time, they, every time you split it in half, then you split it in half again and again. Like that Fabergé Organics commercial, I told two friends, and they told two friends, and they'd be like, we go through troubles, and it makes us stronger. If God gave you everything you wanted and you never went through trouble, you'd be like a spoiled brat at Target. I don't like Target, but Toys R Us, Walmart. I told you, I think I told you a couple, this story a couple weeks ago. I was, I was in Target, and I watched this kid start screaming at his mom that he wanted a toy. She said, we don't have any money, honey. For that, I, I've got to get groceries. And he screamed at her, told her how stupid she was, and he hit her. Okay, after he, she, he said the word stupid, my mom would have offered him free dental work. She would have given him the right hand of fellowship. You know what the mom did? I was waiting. She put the milk back. You're going to put milk back to buy this kid a stupid toy? What did that kid learn? If I pressure mom, she'll give in. We were doing child ID at the the sheriff's office. Now, child ID is a pretty important thing. It was... Uh, fingerprints, and then you collect a hair sample and stuff, and you use it in case your child ends up missing. And the kids would tell their parents, no, I'm not doing it. Oh, oh, yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. You're going to do it with a smile on your face and get a lollipop, or you're going to do it with tears in your eyes after I swatch you behind. But you're going to do it. I would have parents, I would have parents bargain with their three-year-old. If you do it, mommy will get you candy. No, teach little Jimmy that this is important, and whether he likes it or not, he needs to do it, because that's part of living in this house, is every now and then you don't get to do what you want, you do what you have to. Now, I'm not saying beat your kids about everything, but there are times when they're patted on their little behind, and that's a good place to offer them fellowship. as a husband, you take the easy way toward peace by saying whatever you want, dear, rather than by really talking to your wife and working through it. You've set up a pattern where you're going to begin to resent her eventually. Whatever you say, dear, that's eh, not going to work. Wives, if you give in to your husband all the time, you're going to resent it eventually. You need to work through these things in a godly manner. And there are times when it's, it's difficult. That's the time when you both need to be committed to each other and to God. Okay, I love you, so I'm going to work this out. And sometimes you don't get what you want. 
that you get a, re- a better relationship out of it. We need to wait on the Lord and actively seek him in every family problem. Every family problem. The last thing we need to do is give God first place. God has got to be number one in your home. God has got to be the driving force behind everything you do in your home. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. So don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear. Doesn't that sound like a budget issue to you? Well, I don't know what I'm going to do. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything, everything, not most things, not some things, everything you need, not want, need. Don't worry about the things that people who don't know God worry about. God's going to take care of you. In fact, the more you try to work it out, the bigger mess you're going to make. Trust God. There's no way you can have a successful family without putting God first. It's not going to happen. A study once disclosed that if both mom and dad attend church regularly, 72% of their children remain faithful. I'll read that to you again. If both mom and dad, both mom and dad, attend church faithfully, 72% of their kids remain faithful to church. If only dad, 55% remain faithful. If only mom, 15%. If neither attended regularly, only 6% remain faithful. The example of parents is huge when it comes to whether or not your next generation follows God. There's no guarantee. But it's huge. I love this story. Some little boys are staying overnight in the backyard in a tent. And the, they're at this guy's house, and he's listening to his boy, his boy and the other boys talk. First kid said, my daddy knows the mayor. Well, I know the mayor. Another kid says, yeah, well, my dad knows the governor. And he heard the voice of his own son. He said, that's nothing. My dad knows God. The other boy said, no, he doesn't. He said, yeah, he does. Well, how do you know? I heard him talking to him this morning. That's something, isn't it? There's something there. Your kids need to see you faithful. Your kids need to see you setting a godly example. Your kids need to know that you know God. And not only know that you know God, but you act on that. See, there's nothing greater our family can think of us than that we know God. More than anything else, I want my sons to know their dad knows God. Because everything else I've ever accomplished or done is all because I know God. Everything that that has happened in my life is because God has watched out for me. I could tell you story after story after story where it should have gone really bad and it went differently. And even the things that didn't go the way I wanted them to turned out in the end to be better for me. I've told you, I'm standing here today because of one of the most brutal experiences of my ministry. And I look back now and think, oh, dear Lord, thank you for letting me go through that because I never would have pastored remnant if I hadn't gone through that. The last 10 years of remnant have been some of the most rewarding time of my ministry, but it started out of a lot of pain. I got here because I went through pain, but I trusted God through it all. And I'd love to tell you when I was in the middle of it that I was... You know, I had it all figured out, but I didn't. 
The only thing I knew was that God had never let me down before, and so there had to be something good to come out of it eventually. Our families need a strong commitment, strong time together, strong communication, strong coping skills, and we must give God first place. Does that mean that your family's perfect? Nope. Not even close. The reason it's not perfect is because we're in it. The reason my family isn't perfect is because I'm in it. I'm the weak link in the chain. But I try my best. I stay close to God. And that's all we can ask, guys. There's been a lot of stuff here to chew on, isn't it? But I guarantee you, this is what it takes. This is good stuff. So if you're like me, and again, I never feel sorry for you guys when I say these, these things on Sunday. Because you only have to listen to them for about 45 minutes or so. Maybe longer. I have to live with this all week. God's been churning this around in my heart actually for about a week and a half. So I don't feel sorry for you because God kicked me around the block a couple of times because of this message. But that's good. Because I don't ever want to stand here and tell you, yeah, I'm 100% of this. I got this down. Nah, I'm working on this just like you are. That's why I know it works. Let's pray. God, thanks. We love you, Father, because you are great, and we're not. But God, you love us, and you care for us. And you want more than anything else for our homes to succeed. You want our homes to be godly homes. You want our homes to to flourish. So God, I pray you'll speak to every person here this morning. Speak to those who are watching this by video or listening on podcast. God, touch their lives. (laughs) Let people know that you're in control. That if they will just put their trust in you and follow, follow your principles, God, that their lives will be better. Make our homes more like you, God. Your head's bowed and your eyes closed. I want to ask you a very simple question. Where are you at? Five points, where are you? If you're like me, there were some strong places where you thought, okay, I'm, I'm doing okay at that. And there are some places where the shoe's pinched a little more, and maybe you've got some work to do. And I don't care how young or old your family is, we all have work to do. Wherever you are on this continuum, wherever you are in these points, go to God. Go to God. And if you've got a family member here with you today, whether it's a spouse or or your kids, if they're near you, hold their hand as we pray. Just go to get them and and just let them know that that you're going to do your best to be the example they need. That you love them. And maybe you've made mistakes. Failure isn't fatal. Stand with me. Let's pray. Father, thank you. God, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts, God. The family members that are here, Father, that you will strengthen them, that you will make them great. And God, more than anything else, that you will cover our our homes with your love. That our families will know that they're loved and accepted. And the reason we can love and accept them is because you have loved and accepted us. Thanks, God. Thanks, God. Give us a great time now, God. We ask it in your name.
Amen. Let's stand. A couple of things. I know this sounds daunting, but if God wasn't going to help you do it, he wouldn't have required it of you. So you got that going for you. You've been listening to a presentation of Remnant. For more information, visit us online at remnantchurchiv.com. You build a mighty fortress, 10,000 buildings high. Love is here to lift you up.